Well, good morning, church family. I love hearing you sing. That's a blessing to my heart. Also, I would like to say uh, thank you for last weekend. Um, the, the church threw us a housewarming party, and that was a lot of fun. It was fun having all of you come through the house, and if you weren't able to make it or if you came while the electricity went out and it was 1,000 degrees, just come, come back by. We, we, we'd love to have you. Um, we're, we're proud to show it off. We're, we're, we're thankful for what the Lord's blessed us with. But let's uh, jump into the, to, to the Word. We'll, we'll pray, and then we'll dive right in. Lord, you are the master of our lives and our faith. Lord, I pray that as you've preached the sermon to my heart this week, that you would preach to the people. Lord, open our eyes to your truth. Lord, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in 1 Peter 2, 4, if you want to go ahead and go there. And we are continuing our series, Living for What Lasts, because we know what lasts, the things that will last are the, the things of the kingdom of God. And we want to be investing our lives into those things. The tone of chapter 2 is shifted. It's quite different than chapter 1. Chapter 1 was very gospel heavy. Chapter 1 talked about the person and the payment of Christ, as well as talking about the promise of our future inheritance. Chapter 2 is, how do we live between these two kingdoms? How do we live between the kingdom of God while being resident aliens in the kingdom of this world? How are we to function? How are we to operate? How are we to relate to government? How are we to relate to our spouses? How are we to relate to one another? Our passage, well, not the passage this morning, but chapter 2 will unfold that over the coming weeks. So if you will look at the screens, and this is our what is true statement. This is what uh, I believe the overarching truth from the text that we're in. Jesus has set us apart for his purpose to be a living sacrifice. So what do we do with that? We are to worship God with our whole life. That's what we're to do with it. So let's read our text together. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. So the first thing we'll look at is in verse 4, and we'll look at the living stone. And no surprise... 
Jesus is the living stone whom we have come to but was rejected by men but chosen by God. Jesus isn't just chosen by God, but this living stone, he's, he's precious to God. So why is Jesus different than everyone and everything else? What's different about Jesus? Well, Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son. He's the only begotten Son of the Father who has come to us. Jesus was precious before he ever did anything on earth. Before he came, he reigned in heaven with God the Father. You know, John, John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Nothing was created apart from this Word. And if you fast forward a couple verses, you'll see that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Philippians 2 talks about this, this one, this Jesus, having a quality with God as being something to be grasped. Instead, he humbled himself and became a man. Jesus is different than we are. Jesus is God in the flesh. Peter gives us a contrast in verse 4. Jesus was rejected by men, but chosen by God. Obviously, Peter's intent is that we would align with God, that we would be on God's side. The Jews did not align with God because they rejected the rule and reign of Jesus over their lives. This is, this is how they rejected him. And how, how let's, let's look at the New Testament. Let's think about all the ways that Jesus was rejected in the Gospels. From birth, there was this, this cloud around him. You see murmuring in the New Testament that, isn't this Joseph's son? Remember, he was claiming to be the son of God. And they're like, isn't this Joseph's son? So early on, he's rejected by those who know him. He's rejected by uh, his, his friends from the town he's from. That's why Jesus says a prophet will be rejected in his hometown. Not just that, his own family, his brothers, the, the gospels tell us, they rejected him. Jesus was treated like an outcast. Jesus, he's going around, he's doing miracles, he's teaching things, he's teaching things in alignment with the Bible. He's, he's, he's doing good to people. And what do the, the scribes and the Pharisees say about him? This man must have a demon. He must be of Beelzebub. He's rejected for his good works. He's rejected for his teaching. His own disciple, Judas, rejected him. He turned them over to the Sadducees and the Pharisees to be executed, to be arrested. That night, whenever they came to arrest him, all of his disciples, they rejected him by abandoning him. It, Peter, the guy who's writing this letter, the guy who sliced the, 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 the soldier's ear off, when questioned by a little girl, rejects Jesus. His own people turned him over to the Romans to be executed. The Romans were told that he was the son of God. They rejected him. His creation, both Jew and Gentile alike, rejected the Savior. Jesus, the living stone, was chosen by God as the foundation of the spiritual house that we're being built into. And all who accept Christ will be accepted by God. 
and all who reject Christ will be rejected by the Father. Everyone in the time of Christ missed him as the Messiah because their worship was focused on man. It was centered on man, and it was not centered on God. They redefined God's laws to fit their, their cultural practices of the day. The rule and reign of Jesus is to spread over every aspect of our lives. We are called to be, to be living stones, and Jesus is the foundation. We are to be in alignment with this chief cornerstone, the foundation of our faith, Jesus Christ. And if there's one place, even on this side of the cross, I'm talking about people who are saved, when we choose not to be in alignment with Jesus, we're still rejecting him. We all, uh, we all have this, these places that we look at and we keep for ourselves in our lives, right? I know I do. It's like a, last week I think we used the illustration of an ice cube tray you know those old ice cube trays that there's a square every every spot was 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 its own spot everything every, every you know this ice cube tray is not that ice cube tray it's 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 all its own thing and that's how we want to think about our lives we want to put our christian stuff in in that square we want to put my, my sports stuff in this square, we want to put my hobby in that square, we want to put, okay, this is financial stuff here, and this, this one here is what I have for the... And instead of looking at the whole thing and seeing it as God, seeing it as Jesus's, there, there's no separation from the sacred things in your life and the secular things in your life. It's all sacred, so what we do whenever we're, we're, we're cornering these little sections of our lives off, we're looking at it and going, mine. And Jesus is looking at that part of your life and saying, no, that's mine too. What are, what are some areas where you do that? And I know for me, the argument in my mind and in my heart sounds something like this. I love Jesus, but, and then you fill in the blank. I love Jesus, but my anger is just part of who I am. I love Jesus, but I'm not going to give up that sin on my phone. I love Jesus, but I'm not going to give attention to my kids. I love Jesus, but I can't stop yelling at my, my, my kids and my spouse. I love Jesus, but I'm not going to forgive him. I'm not going to forgive her. I love Jesus, but I'm not going to stop talking about people. I love Jesus, but I love to be the first one to tell people a new piece of information. Essentially, I love Jesus, but I love to gossip. I love Jesus, but I'm not going to talk about him at work. I love Jesus, but this prayer thing's not really my thing. So I'm just not going to do that. I love Jesus, but I can't trust the church with my money. This I love Jesus, but posture of the heart on this side of the cross, even as believers, shows very real ways where we are practically rejecting Jesus every day. Have you ever seen a building built with rocks? 
uh, you know, uh, the Facebook algorithm, they figure out who you are better than you do. And it's figured out that I'm pretty geeky. So uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, it decided I should follow uh, Scottish Adventures. And it was right. I wanted to. <laughs> and a lot of these buildings in Scotland are built with um, rocks and you can some of it you look at and you're like does that even have mortar and they just find the right rock to stack and make the right building but then when you look again you'll see where a mason has come through and chiseled off the rough spots of the rock so that the face of the building would be straight so that the rocks would would work together we are in this this spiritual house we are these living stones. And don't feel bad because you constantly feel the chisel of the, the master mason. He's forming you to use you for a purpose in that house. Allow him to come in. Allow him to, the, these parts that we section off for ourselves, these parts that we try to hide, whenever he reveals them to him, instead of grabbing onto it with a death grip, give it open hands and say, God, it's yours. Now, don't get me wrong. If we're that rock, does that chisel probably feel good? It means something's breaking off. Something's breaking away. But don't reject the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't resist the Spirit. As Paul says it, don't grieve the Spirit. Allow Him to do His work because Jesus is chosen by the Father. We are His church. We've chosen Him and now we're chosen by the Father. Let's, let's work together as living stones. Look at verse 5. In Christ we are living stones. You yourselves, like stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be whole, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the cornerstone of our faith. And we're being built up from him into, these spiritual, into this spiritual house. When, when it comes to construction, I'm just bad. I'm not good at it. My, what's, what's bad is my wife is so much better at all that kind of stuff than I am. I'm just, I'm just the, the, the grunt labor. So if you ever see anything in our house that's done, that's pretty, she did it. Now, I might have been there like holding something, but it's not. I wasn't putting the eye on it. I wasn't making the cut to make it perfect. When I was in high school, my dad, he, uh, we, we were building a fence, a, a wooden fence out behind our house, and he came and he laid the, the corner post, he popped the string, he laid the other post out there, then he put all the middle ones up and he, he ran the, the little pieces of wood across the back, I don't know what you call them. But uh, so all I had to do, he framed it up, all I had to do was come behind him and put up the pickets. Man, I, I, was, I was working and working and where I felt like I was doing good. I was eyeing it and it looked sharp. Then I decided to go get a drink of water, and I stepped back, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, that thing's wonky. How's it all over the place? I was, I was looking at it. So I had the opportunity to take it down. <laughs> and I don't know why I didn't think I needed a string as well, since he did. And I got to do it right the next time. 
Jesus is identified as this cornerstone. These cornerstones were large pieces of stone, and they were perfectly square on every side. They, they had perfect 90-degree angles. And because ancient builders would, would use these, they, they would use these both as the, the ex, an exterior wall, but they would also uh, use it to, to bear the weight of what was being built on top. And um, I was Googling cornerstones, try, just trying to get an understanding of what, what I'm looking at here. And um, I found one in my Google search, and it's on the Western Wall. The Western Wall in Israel, you know, you might know it as the Wailing Wall. And it was built about 20 years before the birth of Jesus. And it has this, this, this cornerstone on it, and it's unbelievable. Uh, they, they cut it out of a quarry and moved it a long, long way to get it to where it was at. It's 40 feet long and over 600 tons. And it is, like today, it is still perfectly square. And it still bears the weight of everything above it. All the rough stones, after they put that perfect stone up, they, they just cobbled them together, and then later they smoothed it out to make it look right. Why, when we look at some churches or when we look at our own Christian lives, when we step back and we measure them against the Bible, why do they look so wonky? That's, that, that's my building word. It's because we're building ministries that focus on man and man's need and not centered on God. We start building lives that are centered around us and not centered around God. And obviously, when we take a step back and we look at it against the straight edge of Scripture, something's going to look off. Building on plumb looks like building on the base of Jesus Christ as revealed in the Word. We're being built up into spiritual houses, or not a spiritual house, it is a spiritual house. And what's the use of a spiritual house? Worship. Look again at verse 5. You'll see it on your screen. You, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as, spiritual, as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we're, we're given two metaphors here. We're both living stones being built up into a spiritual house, and also we're this, we're this priesthood. We're being built up to be a holy priesthood in order to offer these sacrifices. What was the role of the priest? It was to offer sacrifice and to intercede on behalf of the nation. Also, the priest was the one who got to go into the Holy of Holies. You got to understand, not just anybody could approach God. Not just anybody could approach the Holy of Holies, lest they would die. The priesthood served God in the temple of God. And the illustration here is that we are both the temple and we are the priest. The temple is where the presence of God dwelt on earth. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this. You'll see it on the screen. Do not do you not know that you are the temple or you, that you are God's temple 
and that God's spirit dwells in you. That's, that, was special about, that was what was special about the Holy of Holies. The spirit of God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. The purpose of the temple was for God to be worshipped and the people to commune with God in his presence. You are living stones that God is using to, to build up his house of worship. With the things you're doing with your life, the things you say, the things you do, the things you watch, would they be things that you would feel comfortable watching in church? I always get this said to me, Pastor, I got something to say, but I can't say it in church. Understand that you are more consecrated than this place. The Holy Spirit indwells you. You are his living temple. This is just a building. We are a priesthood that his desire for us is to offer acceptable spiritual sacrifices. We have the Holy Spirit residing in us to do this thing. In our new priesthood, where do we offer sacrifices? As this temple, where do we offer sacrifices? Wherever you go and whatever you do is to be done as unto the Lord, as a spiritual act of worship. Since you are now this new priesthood and you are now the temple of the Holy God, Wherever you go and whatever you do is to be worshiped. Does that, is anything outside of that? No, everything. And what's problematic, the contrast, is we think about our Christian life in the sections, right? We think about life in sections, where we have a Christian life and we have a life we do somewhere else. We want to give Jesus the margin of our lives as sacrifices. We want to give our margin to him. We want to give him Sunday morning or maybe before we go to work or maybe if you're feeling extra spiritual, you'll, you'll tithe or give an offering too. He wants all of it. He doesn't want the margin. He's not impressed by the margin We need to look at the world through a pair of kingdom lenses where we see everything that our eyes touch, that's his, and that we are to use that for worship. The common things that we do are worship to God. You know, God doesn't just accept anything we offer as worship. Now, I think when we're young in faith and when we're new in faith, when we're doing it as a, uh, in this childlike faith, I've got a different response for that. But for us who are growing in our faith, he doesn't just accept anything. God, God wants to be worshiped as he's defined worship. God wants to be worshipped as God defines worship. God saved you so that you would worship him with your whole life. 
And you would be about doing the work of the kingdom in all of your life. Do you think that he's okay with you throwing him, him the crumbs of your life? Do you think, you think that's why he allowed his son to be executed on your behalf? He wants all of you to worship him with every part of your life. Have you ever heard the story of Naab and Abiud from Leviticus 10? So God just sets up, sets up the, uh, the, the priesthood. You know, the, the Levites are to be the priest. They're to come from the sons of Aaron. Aaron is Moses' um, brother. And these two sons of Aaron, Naab and Abihu, they, they treated their role worshiping in a flippant way. God was very specific. God defined exactly how he wanted them to worship him all the way down to how they were to collect the fire to burn the incense. That seems like something small to us. That's something serious to God. He's defined how he wanted to be worshiping in that way. Naab and Abihu did most of what they were supposed to do. But for this cistern that they would burn incense out of, they got whatever it means for them to have an unauthorized fire not how God defined it. And because of their frivolous, lackadaisical worship, God consumed them with fire in the temple. Understand, you are priests of the Most High God. And the worship we bring it can be lighthearted. It can be fun. But you got to understand, it's also serious. It's a fearful thing. That's why Peter just warned us in chapter 1. It, it's a fearful thing. Be, be holy as God is holy. So when you think about the worship that you've brought in this morning, has it been out of a place of obligation or a place of love? As a place of overflow of thankfulness? Has your worship been from a place of devotion? We are to worship out of the overflow and the bounty of our thankfulness that he's stored up in our hearts. We are to worship as he's defined worship in the text. God has given us all hands and feet to serve the body and to serve the world. If you were in a service position this morning, whether it was in the kids' building or in the youth Sunday school or in the parking lot or in the greeting team, wherever you served in this morning, did you serve out of duty? Did you serve begrudgingly? Or did you serve out of thankfulness? Because that's your worship as his hands and feet. God has blessed you financially. When you gave this morning, was it gave out, out of obligation or out of thankfulness? The quantity doesn't matter. It's the quality of the heart that you're giving from. As you sang, was it from a place of overflow of joy and love? Or this one gets me because I get super distracted. I start looking at lights and stuff. Or were you half-heartedly singing every other word because you knew the tune and you weren't paying attention to what it was actually saying? Because when we sing, what we're doing is we're declaring to one another, and we're declaring to God the excellencies of his glory. And should that be done in a half-hearted manner? 
We're to reflect on the words. We're to think about them. And we're to meditate on them while we're singing them in an affirmation of who God is and what he's done. God has given you ears. He's given you spiritual ears. How have you worshiped during this time of opening the word? Even now, are you counting down the minutes, waiting on lunch? Not going to lie, my stomach's growling. Or did you come today expectant to hear from the Lord? Are you waiting? God, what are you going to show me? God has, has given us worship and service as a gift. It's God's favor on us that we would get to worship him. God looks at his son and he says, chosen and precious. He looks at us who come to, to faith in his son. And because of the son, he looks at us and says, chosen and precious. And it is his favor that he allows us to know him and worship him for his glory and how glorious he is. The glorious one is inviting us to worship him. So when you think about it, did you prepare your heart this morning to come into his presence? Did you have unconfessed sin that you're just trying to forget about, that you didn't come to with open hands and say, God, I did this, here it is, take it. Or are you just trying to fool yourself and everybody in the room just to look good? These things are the frivolous worship that we see like Nahad and Abiud. We need to be aware of flippant worship, but also a proud-hearted worship that says, I'm going to worship God how I want to worship God. In number 16, Moses' his own cousin. Moses, he's got some family issues. His own cousin, they're Levites, but they're not of the line of Aaron, so they don't get to be, they don't get to be uh, priests. His cousin Korah led a revolt to take over the temple. That's where they were worshiping God, or the tabernacle at the time. Uh, they, he led a revolt, and they wanted to offer sacrifices. They wanted to worship God in a way that they wanted to worship God, not how God had defined worship. Because God defined it that they would do it through Aaron's sons. Their argument was, and it's not a bad argument, why wouldn't God want us to worship him this way? Why wouldn't God want us to serve in the temple or in the tabernacle? Why wouldn't God accept our worship this way? And it's because God defined how he desired to be worshiped. Korah and his, his, his followers tried to take over the tabernacle in, in this huge show, uh, showdown. And Moses is like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Before we get crazy, I'll tell you what. Korah, you and your people, go over there, get, get, get your uh, incense, and y'all stand there, and if the Lord accepts that, y'all will be fine. Um, Aaron, you take your people over here, and um, same thing, and we'll let the Lord decide. Well, let's see how the Lord decided. Look at the screen. Because what I want you to see is the gravity of worship. And as soon as he had finished speaking, that was Moses, all these words, the ground under them, that's the sons of Korah, split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their household and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. 
So that's, that's Korah. That's, that's his family and his goods and his servants. Let's keep looking. 33. So they all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and then the earth closed up over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. And all Israel who were around them, rightfully so, fled crying, lest the Lord swallow us up too. 35. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed 250 men offering the incense. So if you zoned out while we were reading, just real a quick recap. The earth ate Korah for, not, for offering worship that wasn't how God wanted it. And then the 250 people who were following them, fire fell down and consumed them. God is serious about worship. God is so serious about worship, he allowed his son to die so that we could worship him in spirit and in truth. They wanted to worship God partially as God desired, but more how they desired. God is not okay with whatever you feel like giving him. God's desire for all of us, God's desire for you is full obedience. And hear this word for you this morning. I think it's something we all need to hear. Partial obedience is pride. Partial obedience is pride. Partial obedience is disobedience. God is pushing us all towards something. God is leading you specifically towards something. Would you say that you are giving him partial obedience in that thing right now? In that sin in that calling, in that ministry, in that new endeavor, whatever it is. Partial obedience is pride. Partial obedience is disobedience. Peter tells you that we are to fear God because he is holy and we are to worship him in holiness. Romans 12.1 talks about this, this spiritual sacrifice that we are to give. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices. As living sacrifices, holy and acceptable for God, which is your spiritual worship. So what is this that we would, be, that we would worship with our bodies as living sacrifices? and it would be holy. Verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you might discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. The renewal of our mind happens in the text. The renewal of our mind happens in silence. The renewal of our mind is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in line with the Bible, because he's not going to lead you anywhere that the Bible's not leading you. We must be alone because this is, this is how we know how we are to live as a sacrifice. The sacrifice idea in the Old Testament, what happened to it? What happened to the sacrifice? It was killed. Its blood ran out once. 
We are to be worshiping God in a selfless way that gives ourselves up all the time. Paul talks about his living, being a living sacrifice in this way. Is he's a, a drink offering poured out. You know what, a, what they would do for a drink offering? They would hold it in a cup, they would give some sort of blessing, and they would go, bloop. He, nothing's being saved back for him. Nothing about your life is to be saved back for you. It's all about God. And here's the beautiful thing. When you start living in this way, you're going to find happiness, you're going to find joy, you're going to find pleasure that you never knew existed. While you're living in partial obedience, you're just going to live in, under conviction and it's going to feel horrible and you're like, why am I... But when you, when you give it up, you're going to find the beauty of walking in the power of the Spirit. The priest would go in and worship and it would be a fearful and an all-striking thing. You need to search your heart and ask, is your worship flippant like Nahab and Abihu? Or is it proud like Korah? Because we know what God wants. He wants a repentant and contrite heart. He tells us as much in Psalm 51, 15. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praises. For you will not, not delight in sacrifices, or I would give it. You would not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God, so here they are. God's not hiding what his sacrifices are. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, this you will not despise. God wants from us genuine repentance. God wants your submission. God wants you to praise from a place of, of love and contrition towards his holy name. We are to seek to bring this kind of worship to God. And we get to because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because where we're lacking in worship, Jesus' worship wasn't lacking. Where we're lacking in work, Jesus' work wasn't lacking. And when, when we're flawed, and we constantly are, we're worshiping in the power of Jesus Christ. You hear language around church nowadays, and you're just going to have to ride this tangent with me because I'm going to take it of we've, we've moved the, the language from worship service to, to experience. And I appreciate what they're trying to do with the change. Like, come experience the presence of God. But experience is very man-centered. Experience is about what I, what I get from God. Worship says, this is what I'm going to give. In worship, we give our hearts in praise, even if we don't get anything back. In worship, we, we, we give our attention to God as we hear from his word, even if he decides not to speak to our hearts. In worship, 
We give our money and tithes not because he needs it, but as a sign of total trust and submission. In worship, we give up parts of us that he reveals to be sinful. In worship, we give. The, the experience is about me. Worship is about he. The experience is about what I get and what I feel. Worship is about what I give. Our priesthood is different than the Levites' priesthood. We're not just giving worship in the temple or for our purposes in the church. We are to give worship everywhere we go, everything we do, because we are of this higher priesthood. We are of this higher order, and we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and we are his living, breathing, walking temple to declare the excellencies of his glory to a lost and dying world. Let's look now at verses 6 through 8. And we're going to look at the, the, the cornerstone. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... The, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Jesus is a rock of offense. They stumbled because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. These citations come from the Old Testament from Isaiah 28 and they is a combination of Isaiah 28 and Isaiah 8. And Jesus even refers to this very same uh, reference whenever he's talking to him, telling him that he's this chief cornerstone that they're rejecting. And we're told that if we come to him, we will not be put to shame. We will not be put to shame if we believe. The shame that, that's going to be experienced is rejection and punishment from God. Those who accept the message will be honored before God, and those who reject the message will be rejected. Remember, the cornerstone is what kept the building straight and what bore the weight of the structure. These who reject Jesus, he becomes a stumbling rock and a rock of offense to them, and because of him, they will be put to shame for rejecting him. And if you see the cornerstone, you'll be given life and you'll be, be one of these living stones being built up into this holy house. But those who he becomes a, a rock of offense to, they're going to stumble over him because they, they've chosen not to see him. And not only will he be a rock of stumbling, but he will be a rock of oppression. He will be a, a stone that crushes them for not accepting him. <coughs> Jesus is the rock of offense, and the, this message of Jesus is offensive because this message of Jesus tells the world, tells you and me that we are sinful from birth, we've, we've sinned, we are enemies to God, and apart from God doing something for us, all we're doing for ourselves is walking the road that leads to hell. That's offensive to the world. It sounds mean to some people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only way that you can come to heaven. But isn't it a lot meaner to know this message and to not share it? Jesus Christ is the living stone. Jesus is, for them, a stumbling block. And we see, we see 
churches trying to make this story not offensive. And once you do that, it becomes a different story. It becomes a different gospel. Like Galatians, oh, how quickly you have departed from this word. For those who, who come in corporate services, worship services like this, they, they believe that, that the service should be focused on their experience, the way they experience the music they want to hear. The, 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 quick, the quick and quippy sermon that makes them feel good and charged for the week when things go bad. We need to change the narrative because as long as we, we treat Jesus, this living stone, as an experience who he's coming to serve our needs and entertain us and, and make us feel comfortable, happy, and wise. He's not going to do it. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not a dancing monkey. He's not a magician that's, that's just here to entertain you and make you feel good about your life. He is God incarnate, the ruler of the universe. And this sounds hard, but I believe it's true. I think he rejects those attempts at worship because that worship is not about him, it is about them. When worship is all about me, it's not about God. And who are we really worshiping? We're, we, these services are, are set up to serve our needs, not serve his kingdom as he wants to be served. This, this is Cain's offering, not Abel's offering. This is, as R.T. Kendall says, this kind of worship is of the line of Ishmael, not God's chosen worship of Isaac. We are seeking to serve God in spirit and in truth. And the text tells us that this message is offensive to a lost and dying world. But this is where it's beautiful. When, when someone hears the offensive message and they see it to be true and their lives are transformed because all this other stuff's not transforming anybody. The only thing that transforms somebody under heaven and earth is the Holy Spirit working through a gospel message, changing a dead person to life. And when somebody sees somebody who's really transformed, they're not going to care about the music. They're not going to care about the, the pithy sermons. They're going to care about clinging to the gospel. And we as a church, what we have to do is cling to the gospel. We have to cling to the text. And we have to worship God as he desires to be worshiped in spirit and in truth. And if you don't know Jesus this morning, look, I, this beautiful gospel message is for you. You'll hear it preached like this. Just come as you are. That's true. But I want you to understand, coming as you are, entering into this relationship says, Jesus, I'm going to make you king. And you either worship him as king or not, as, not at all. So they, they want to make you believe that you can come to them as you are and you don't have to change your, your living situation with your boyfriend or girlfriend. 
You don't have to change the way that you define sexuality. You don't have to change the way you speak or the, the, the way you, uh, you drink or the way that whatever it is. You don't have to fix these things about it. Just come to Jesus. The plea is come to Jesus and be transformed. The language in the New Testament is being transformed, being walked away from this, this old self to a, a new person, having, being regenerated, being made a new creation. And yeah, I'm just going to tell you now, all this stuff's not going to be fixed out of the gate. But as the Holy Spirit reveals things to you, how you know whether or not you're his is if you listen and you submit to him. And he will change us from one degree of glory into another. He will, he will mold us into the image of his son. Or to go back to the masonry illustration, he'll take that chisel and start removing things that we thought were parts of us that stand in direct contradiction of his word. Don't hear me being a legalist saying you have to do these things to be a believer. We're saved by grace and not by works. Hear me instead pleading for your soul. And if you're lost, I want you to have a better life and the better life is in Jesus Christ. And if you're saved and you're walking in sin, don't hear me being a legalist. Hear me pleading for your soul that you would, in this time that you have left on earth, walk in joy and walk in submission and walk in love with our Savior instead of constantly feeling beat down and carrying the burdens of your, your, your sinful ways. Jesus said, he already told you, come to me. My, my, my burden is easy and my yoke is light. All that stuff you're carrying, his shoulders are there to carry for you. What Jesus is offering is better if we would just believe. And some of us were sitting here and you're like, I've been trying to kick this porn habit. I've been trying to, to stop yelling at my wife. I've been, trying to, I've been trying to act these ways. I've been trying to be better. Pray the prayer of the tax collector. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Throw yourself at the feet of the king. Come to Christ today and be transformed by the beauty of his gospel. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to be standing right there and I would love to have that conversation with you. I get it might be weird for you. There's a lot of people in this room that would love to have that conversation with you. But as we go into this last song, as we pray, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. <coughs> Worship, I think, looks like coming to God with open hands. Come to God with open hands and say, God, what part of me needs to be chiseled? What part of me needs to be removed as I am being built up into this spiritual house for your glory and for your worship? If you will, bow your heads with me.